This podcast discusses sensitive topics that may contain graphic depictions of violence, substance use, self-harm, explicit language, and other content that some listeners may find disturbing or triggering. Listener discretion is advised. I'm in it. I have two kids. I'm angry all the time. Like, I'm not sleeping. And all the while, I'm thinking, like, oh, I just need to get it together. I just need to get it together. Like, this is my fault. Like, I should be fine. I should be happy. I have two healthy kids. But, but I wasn't. Welcome to the Survivor Story Podcast. You are invited to open your hearts and ears to the powerful stories of others. Here, you are no longer alone. You hear your experience, your strength, your hope in the words of others. Join us on this journey as we conquer our past, live in the present, and dream for our future. Together, we choose to free our story. Welcome, everybody, to the Survivor Story Podcast. My name is Kevin Colbert, and thank you for being here. We are at, what is this, episode five. Wow, episode five with Isabella. We're listening to Isabella's story, and I think it's a super cool one. Yeah, I think you're going to get a lot of really deep understanding about what it takes to be a mother, what it takes to go through postpartum depression, Um, And there is some very (sighs) raw, vulnerable, juicy moments that I really like in this podcast. I met Isabella through yoga teacher training. Was it literally last year? We just got done with it and got to hear a little bit of her story. And when I kind of put out to social media that I was looking for guests, um, Isabella was one of the first ones to jump on and say, I would like to tell my story. And I'm so grateful that she did because I really learned so much about motherhood and um, the birthing process than I knew. And it was really enlightening to hear what mothers have to go through in the, you know, getting up to the birthing process, finding, you know, the right doctors, the right nurses, the right place to birth a child, bring a human into this world. And to listen to Isabella's story of kind of just losing her way in the whole process and losing herself a bit and this re-coming back to who she was, who she is, and finding um, her solace, finding her home. So I think there's a lot to hear to get out of this. And before we dive in, I want to introduce a new little segment that we are, I think we're going to introduce it in February, a little Q&A with our audience. I know sometimes different questions or ideas or topics might bounce into your head during Um, a person's story or during the Q&A, and we want to give you a chance to answer your questions. So you can write to us on Instagram, on 
um, our website contact form. There will be soon a page to specifically ask your questions, but right now you can just go to the contact page and ask any question you want. And we will, um, we're going to bring in my girlfriend, Alyssa Romano, um, who is a licensed professional counselor. And whatever the question is, no matter what, we're going to kind of bring it in here and talk about it and talk and discuss our ideas about whatever you may be needing help with, whatever you might want to know a little bit more about, we're going to answer your questions. So it can be really about anything. So if you have a question that you want to ask a counselor, a therapist, or me, or you know whatever it is, um, reach out to us. And yeah, thank you for being a part of this, for being a part of our journey of growing on this podcast, growing together by storytelling. Um, and so let's just dive in. Let's get into Isabella's story. Here we go. The story starts 31 years ago, I guess, when I was born. Uh, I grew up in the San Francisco, like East Bay, and I'm the second daughter of three. So I'm the middle child. My mom had all three of us when we were, when she was pretty young. And she became a single mom, uh, you know, by the age of 21. And she was able to have her family around to help with us when we were little. And so that meant that our, our, our childhood was sort of, it was kind of chaotic now that I think about it. Um, not necessarily in the sense that there were a lot of people coming in and out, but in the sense that we moved around a lot. Um, you know, from, I mean, I don't think we ever stayed in a place for more than maybe like a year or two years um, until, and I don't have a really good memory of any, of like how old I was at any point in my life, but I remember when we first moved into this house in Hayward because it was a big deal because it was a house that my grandparents bought. So my grandparents are from Peru and they came here and they owned um, a janitorial service and a business. And my grandpa just like built this business where he would just go and clean people's houses and businesses and corporations and like office buildings and stuff. And sometimes we would go with him, um, just kind of on our off days from school or even on a weekend day. I remember going into like these houses with my aunt or with my grandpa and just like cleaning as a kid. But then we moved into this house that, that they bought and that was a big deal, right? Because it was sort of like this indicator that they, they'd made it, you know, and we lived there with them. And, um, so I was there with my two sisters, my mom, my grandparents, and then a couple other people, mostly family members sort of like came in and out. Um, like we had, my aunt and uncle lived with us at a certain time, and then my other aunt and uncle lived with us and some cousins and stuff like that. But we were always just kind of jam-packed in the house, and we didn't really think anything of it. It was it was fine. But now thinking back, that was it was kind of chaotic, you know? It's, it's busy. It's a lot of people. But it was just our norm. Um, we lived in Hayward for a while, like I said, and then we moved um, – we moved to Oregon. I remember my mom got married and she, <laughs> she married the guy that lived across the street from us. 
um, he saw us moving in one day. I don't remember how they met, but he lived across the street from us. And he was an old, he was a little bit older. I mean, my mom's really young, but he was a little bit older and he had two grown kids of his own. Um, but he lived in that house by himself and he was just really nice. And he met my mom and I don't even remember anything about like them dating necessarily. I just remember that they were all of a sudden getting married. Right. And I remember the wedding day. I remember that being really emotional for me just because I think it was the first time that I had thought about like my mom being in like a relationship and being in a marriage and not really understanding what that meant, but feeling like I don't know where I like where, what my role is in all of that. I was really young. Um, so they got married, but then, um, less than a year later they got divorced. And so that was a whole nother like set of issues that we had to sort of deal with. And again, I was still pretty young, so I don't really remember processing all of that maybe in the way that I should have, or maybe just in the way that a a kid does. Um, but the reason we moved to Oregon was because even after my mom and him got divorced, they still like were together, I guess it was interesting. Like they were sort of on and off and he moved up to Eugene. Um, and then my mom made the decision at that point to also move to Eugene. And I was in eighth grade and it was just me and my younger sister and my mom bought a house and that was a big deal for her. You know, she hadn't, she had, that was her first house, you know, she'd never, and I think probably that was her first house and she's only owned like another one other house after that. And, um, and I was kind of in a place where I had had my friends and I was pretty like well established in my social group of, of friends, you know, in Hayward. And then when we moved, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any family and I didn't have any friends. And I had my sister, but she was two years younger than me. And so she was in her own separate social circle. Like we didn't run together at school. Um, and so when we started school and like after the new year in the year 2000, um, I remember the first day everyone was so nice and it was like the classic scene in a movie where you have like your cafeteria lunch tray and you're looking around the cafeteria to find where to sit and somebody's like, Hey, come sit over here. And so that's what happened to me. Um, we, I was standing there and this one person, you know, was so nice and she invited me to sit with her at at her table, you know, at their table where all the other people were. And I said, no, thanks. I think I'm going to go sit with my sister, my younger sister, who was like, who didn't even care. She didn't want to sit next to me. Like, it was just like me. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I want to sit with you. I think I'm like feeling very like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know you. I'm going to go sit with my sister who didn't even care. Come to find out those were, those were the popular kids. Like those were all the popular girls at school. That was an interesting thing. Um, interaction that I remember. So I was only in that school for a year because I was in eighth grade and that was middle school. And then the next year I went to high school, which was like right next door to that school. Um, and so, yeah, again, I just kind of kept to myself. I did fine in high school. After high school, I really wanted to go to the University of Arizona because I was accepted into the College of Engineering. So I was like, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to like be an architect. That's what I wanted to be. I want to be an architect. Um, 
because I was really good at math and like I just really liked the idea of just like imagining and building and like these structures and you know that whole process but I couldn't go um because we couldn't afford it so I had to go to the UVO and that was fine but I was a little resentful I was pretty hurt I think that was the first time where I was just like man I really wanted this like I I haven't caused any trouble anywhere else in my life like I I'm a I'm a good student. Like I should be able to go there and I couldn't. And it was really devastating. Um, Um, and then I, I had a, a pretty bad breakup and it it was really devastating because it was like the first time that that had ever happened to me and I didn't really know where to go from here or sort of what my identity was outside of this relationship. And I took a term off um, and I went to L.A. to see my sister because at that time she had um, been going to school at USC. So I went down there and sort of took some time and reevaluated things and just took a break. Um, so that was a, the first time I really sort of had like a moment where I was like, hold up, what am I doing right now? <laughs> like what's going on in my life? And, um, and it was fine. It was good. It was useful. And then I went back to school and I changed my major and I became a family and human services major, which was through the college of education. And so I just did whatever I needed to do. And I talked to my advisors and we got, we got all set up with the program and, and that was amazing. Um, and so it was a, a cohort model. And so all of the kids or all of the students took all the classes together. And so now I was kind of connected into this network where I saw everybody all the time. And so I could sort of start to build more relationships and I started to make more friends, which was really fun. And I still have those friends to this day. I learned so much about, you know, just the process of education and of serving, um, which is really important to me because I feel like, you know, that's a, been a thread throughout my life is just sort of serving, you know, like that my purpose is to serve. So um, after I graduated, I kind of again had this moment where I was like, well, what am I, what am I doing? What am I going to do? What I want to do? I worked, I was working at a really cool research center in Eugene and I was, I was tapped into a lot of really cool networks. You know, I knew a few a few people by then because I had lived in Eugene for a while at that point. And then I was sort of feeling like I needed to do something else. Um, I wanted to travel. I was feeling kind of stuck in Eugene, which was a small town. And I didn't really feel like there were a lot of people that could really understand me or kind of had a similar story to me. Um, I really just wanted to travel because I was sort of seeing more people around me that had traveled and had these stories. And I was like, wow, that sounds cool. That sounds so cool. And, and so one day I, well, I had a friend who was really interested in like teaching English abroad. And so he got a job just like teaching English abroad. And I was like, wait, what? You can do that? <laughs> um, so I applied and I got a job in Taiwan. And I was like, whoa, okay, I'm doing this. And like, I guess I'm doing this, you know? And it, it was crazy because I think the email came 
And I think that it had said that I would need to be in Taiwan like like a month's time or something like that. So I just had to scramble and I like had moved all my things into storage and I just flew over to Taiwan. It was crazy. Um, but kind of cool. Like thinking about it now, I'm a little proud that I kind of had that, that courage to say, I'm just going to go do something that I don't know anything about and that I was accepted, like that I got the job and that I was like doing it. So I get there totally alone again. I have no idea where, where I am or obviously I'd never been there. Um, and it was really the first time I had traveled like abroad like that. I mean, I went to Peru for like a month after I graduated high school. But that was with my mom and my sister and my grandpa. So this was the first time I was traveling alone. And the job in Taiwan would be a year-long contract. And so I get there and everyone's super nice. And we 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 start to meet people from other places around the world who are there to do the same job. And we do a teacher training and... Then they send us off into our our assigned schools to start teaching English. And I'm just like, okay, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to learn, and I'm just going to do what they taught me to do. And I had a really cool supervisor in my job site who had been teaching for like five or six years by the time I got there. So they they all just, you know, they knew the ropes. They were like, you know, trying to give me as much confidence as I could with teaching. And I taught, I was teaching kindergarten. <laughs> so I taught that every morning. And then I would have like a big break. And then I would teach English school. Um, so it was fine. It was fun. And the thing about it was all of the English teachers hung out because <laughs> they all knew each other and that's how I got again like plugged into these other groups of people um and that's where I met um the father of my children he was also there teaching English so we did the same thing uh he didn't work at the same site but the, where we lived actually the way they placed us um, all the English teachers sort of lived in one apartment building or another apartment building which was across the street so he lived in the one I lived in the other one um and so that's how we we met, just through friends, and then um, started to get to know each other there. And then we ended up moving in together a few months later. I got pregnant, and I didn't realize I was pregnant for like a long time, which is like a whole other kind of situation. But I was 16 weeks when I found out I was pregnant with Lena. And our contract was kind of coming up on being done. So yeah, I was, I had been there for like six or seven months and then I got pregnant and we're thinking, okay, well, our contract's going to end again in February. Let's not renew our contract. Let's just go back to the States and we'll figure it out from there. So we come back to the States and we moved to Connecticut. And the reason that we chose that place was because he had some friends that he knew that lived there. My mom lived in, had sense moved to New Jersey. My sister had since moved to New York. She was also pregnant with her first. Um, and she was two months ahead of me. And so we were thinking, oh, it's close. We'll have family. We'll have people. But, you know, it was, it was fine. Like, we were just doing it. You know, we had everything that we needed. There was nothing else really, like, pressing going on. Um, so I had Lena at a hospital in um, New Haven, Connecticut. I was really scared um, 
that I wouldn't connect with Lena after she was born or that like I read about these, what is it like post baby blues or basically postpartum depression. But that didn't happen with Lena after she was born. I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And she's amazing. And it was a, a learning curve for sure because she wasn't a very great sleeper and I had to learn to breastfeed and cloth diaper and all that stuff. But it was amazing. Like she was incredible and she learned so much. And I was just like, Oh my God. Like I, I really threw myself into being her parent and like being her mom. And then we moved to Chicago. So it was, Lena was only like eight months old and we moved to Chicago because it, it was really hard to make it in Connecticut. We were just like, this isn't working. Like we, we can't even make the, make the rent. It was really hard. Lena was, how old was she? She must've been like one and a half, maybe almost. Yeah. She was almost, she wasn't quite two yet. Um, but I started this other job and then I got pregnant with William. So I'm at this other job and I'm doing just like the infant teacher room and I'm the lead teacher in that room. And then the director leaves. So we needed a director. And I was like, well, I'm the one that's been here the longest. I kind of know everything. And the business owners sort of asked me to be the director. And I was like, okay, fine. Like, all right, what do you need? And so like I did it. And I was kind of ready to be out of the classroom too, to be honest. I was just, it's a lot. It's a hard work taking care of a lot of babies um, that aren't yours or even that are yours. Um, so then I became the director and I step out of the classroom and I'm doing all the office stuff and I'm pregnant and I've got Lena and I'm just kind of in it and I'm doing it. And the whole time I'm pregnant with William, I'm thinking, um, I really want to have a home birth and I really want like to find out like where the best place is to go in Chicago and this and that. So I figure it out and I'm seeing like all of my midwife, my midwife group, which with Lena, I didn't see a midwife. I don't, it was weird because I was in Taiwan for a part of my like prenatal care. And then I was in the States for the rest of my prenatal care. And with William, I was in Chicago the whole time. So I saw this midwife um, group, which was great. And we're planning this home birth, which I'd really wanted for a long time. And so I'm working and I, I stopped working uh, about a month before William is, was born. Um, he was born in December. So I stopped working in November and I was on maternity leave and I went to one of my prenatal visits and I, w- I was maybe, I don't know exactly, but I was full term. I was like, it was my, one of my last prenatal visits. So I was maybe like 37 or 38 weeks pregnant and I, um, was informed that my midwife group made the determination that it wasn't in their best interest to go forward with a home birth, in my case specifically, um, because they didn't feel like I had the support, like because their their dad didn't support the home birth idea, um, that they felt that it wasn't safe for them or that they couldn't necessarily do their job the way that they wanted to or were like should be able to. And so they said, we can't do, we can't do a home birth with you. And I was devastated. Like I probably cried for like the whole rest of the day and then the next day and the next day. Um, Because how women give birth matters, but it's not just about like how they give birth. It's also about like 
all like the culmination of the care and the respect and the support that they get even before they get pregnant all the way through until after they give birth, like a year after they give birth. Right. So it's this, it's not just like, Oh, it's just one day you're going to give birth and you'll be fine. It's so much more than that. We were stuck. I had to figure out what to do, where, what, what am I supposed to do now? These people aren't going to do a home birth. Like, I don't know what to do. No one's going to take me. I'm 38 weeks pregnant. Like I can't really go to a new place. And so they gave us an option that I could have William at a hospital where the midwife group still had rights. Uh, but that hospital was not in Chicago. It was maybe an hour away and we didn't have a car. Like we had never had a car since we got back to the States. Um, and my mom was in town and she was about to leave. And William was past his due date, I remember. Um, she's about to leave and I'm like, great, my mom's gonna leave and I'm not even gonna have the baby. We don't have a car. Like, how am I gonna get to the hospital? I was just being, real, I was really uncomfortable and I sort of called my midwife and I said, can I just come to the hospital and can can we do whatever we need to do to get the baby out and can we just do this now? And she said, yeah, come on down. So I go to the hospital and I had William that night. It was It was pretty fast, both my labors and births have been pretty quick and he was great and he was in like perfect health and you know we were so lucky and happy and he was big and um and then my mom had to leave and so she got to see him for a couple of days um and then like And so then we're back at home and now I have two kids and I'm not working. And I think that their dad only had a week off after William was born. Cause I remember after Lena was born, he only had like two days off. So he had to go back to work right away after Lena was born, which was like fine that time. But then after William was born and he went back to work, it was not fine. Cause now I had two kids and Lena was two and she was, it was really hard for her to transition from being one kid to having a, a little brother, which nobody prepared me for at all. So I had no idea that she was going to like have all the feelings come up that came up for her. And I had no idea how to help her. So that was just one of, you know, the factors that sort of led to this decline, so to speak, of like my mental health at that point. Um, and like when you're in it, you're not even really paying attention or thinking like I need help or like I need a break or like I'm feeling really down or I'm feeling just not myself. You don't, you don't really think about that because you have kids. And so you're trying to just like get it together. Um, So I'm in Chicago and I'm trying to get it together and I realize like I can't really afford to not go back to work. I have to go back to work. And I go back to work and William's only two weeks old and he's with me. You know, he's not really, he's too young to really be in like the classroom or anything like that. And he was with me all the time. And 
I'm at school and I'm just working and I'm, I'm kind of just trying to get back into the rhythm of things. And then um, William got really sick. He, um, and I realized like he was probably because I was taking him to a school when he was really young and there's just like a bunch of other kids there. Um, which I don't know, like I didn't really have a choice, right? Like I had to go back to school. I had to work. And so he got really sick. He got RSV, which is, stands for, I might not pronounce it correctly, respiratory syncytial virus. And it's this virus that attacks like the nodes in your lungs. And so he had, and like for adults, it's it's not really a big deal. It's just kind of like you maybe get a cough, but for little kids, especially at his age, he was seven weeks. Um, it was really tough and we get to the hospital and his, his, like his oxygen level. I don't know if you know about like different levels, but his level was like 80, which basically means like you're pretty much dead. Like you're not getting oxygen into your blood. Um, so they hospitalized him and that whole process was so traumatic for me to see because when you go to the hospital with a little baby and that baby can't breathe, like you just have a swarm of people coming at you, but not even at you, just at the baby and nobody takes time to sit there and tell you, oh, this is what's happening. You know, there's no time for that. Like they just do what they need to do. Um, and so I was by myself cause Lena was at home with her dad and I have no idea what's going on. And I have no idea like what, what even is happening or why he's sick or what he's sick with. Nobody's telling me anything. Um, and I'm thinking, first of all, I'm thinking, I need to feed him because my boobs are going to explode. And I ended up getting mastitis, which is like an infection. And I got a fever and they wouldn't like, what, what, what happened was he wasn't nursing. And so like, it was just, it was really bad. Um, so <laughs> there I was in the hospital with William who's sick. And then I also become sick with a fever. Um, and they wouldn't even give me like a Tylenol because I wasn't their patient. Um, but I had a friend who was a nurse. And so he came down and he gave me some, some meds and they finally got me a breast pump so I could pump and feel better. Um, and then I'm thinking, you know, William's sick. He needs some medicine. They're giving him some oxygen. And then I asked the doctor, I said, you know, well, when can we go home? And they were like, no, like we're admitting you, like you're not going to be able to go home tonight. And I was like, what, what do you mean? Like that's, that's when I knew it was really serious was when they were like, you can't go home. I was like, oh crap like this is this isn't good and I was really scared because he was when he wasn't sleeping um he was just crying and he was like just miserable and it was so heartbreaking and to this day like his cry is so triggering to me and I'm just like oh my gosh I have to like I've had to work through that um because when he was younger like he would be sleeping. Right. And that was great. Cause like, that means he's just like as able to sleep. But then when he would be, when he would wake up, he wasn't nursing and he would just cry and cry and cry. And like nothing could console him. It was so hard. And we were in the hospital for a week, like a whole week. And I like, I did not leave that room. I don't even know if I took a shower. I watched a lot of like, what's it called? Rehab addict <laughs> with like Nicole Curtis. It's just like hospital TV. Cause I'm sitting there and like, you know, they're trying to, they're just help, you know, he's, he's getting better and he got better and, and we finally left. But, but even for 
the the past like or like the next two years after he got sick every time he would even come down with the cold like he would get this wheezing and he would just get it would just be more more intense and and he's fine now I mean he's four and a half but he's grown out of that but but for the first couple years you know every time he got sick it was it was really scary and so I would always have to have a stethoscope and a pulse ox um like a finger monitor so that I could always determine and detect his pulse rate or his oxygen levels because I was like I I need to know like I was freaking out and that's the thing like that's where that's where I was having this like dissonance where I was at the hospital and they're doing all these things and I'm like I don't know somebody just needs to tell me please tell me like I was it was sort of like an out-of-body experience at that moment because it was like I was invisible and nobody was telling me anything and I just needed to know and so then once I did know, I was like, okay, again, doing all the research, trying to figure out like, what is this? How do I monitor this? How do I prevent this? How do I like, you know, what do I need to do at my house? What do I need to do? All this stuff. So I knew everything. And so I just had all those things. I was kind of like obsessive about it. Um, and that, and then that was hard. Like I had, I had already been feeling like I was saying like this decline in my stability and and then he got sick and I was just like oh my gosh it was so hard and then I was like on high alert all the time so now I'm now I'm on high alert but I'm also still feeling like I'm not myself I'm in it I have two kids I'm angry all the time like I'm not sleeping it's just it got bad um and and all the while I'm thinking like oh, I just need to get it together. I just need to get it together. Like, this is my fault. Like, I should be fine. I should be happy. I have two healthy kids. But but I wasn't. I was, like, becoming more unraveled. By the day, it felt like. And then I realized, like, I need to leave Uh, so all this was happening in Chicago and I realized I can't be here I have to I have to go back to Oregon So that was hard because because it was hard, you know, for a lot of reasons. So we moved back to Oregon and we lived with my sister, um, who was great and was generous enough to let us live with her, you know, with me and my two kids, um, while I'm trying to kind of get myself back together. Um, and this was in the summer of 2015 and my sister was pregnant at the time. And so she, that summer had her baby and then now there were, there was just another person in the house and it just got really busy. I couldn't find a job. William was still really little. I was starting to think that maybe I had made the wrong decision 
And so then like five months later, we moved back to Chicago and we're back with their dad and we're trying to make it work. And and pretty immediately I realized that that was the wrong decision. Um, but then I was kind of stuck where I couldn't necessarily like leave again. Um, which then exacerbated like these feelings of just isolation and disappointment and resentment. And that just started to grow and grow until I, I found this job outside of Chicago. We moved to the suburbs and things started to kind of settle down. You know, we're, we're not in the city anymore. And we finally got a car. Like I hadn't had a car up until this point. We finally got a car. I was able to, you know, get a good job where I could bring my kids. They're a little older now, but I could still bring them. And we had a little apartment, which was nice. And I started to just like have more responsibilities, which means, which meant I had to have more structure and it started to feel a little better. Um, I started to also rely a lot on like social media, not, not like I was sitting in a bed, just scrolling. I was, I was finding these pages and these people who had stories similar to mine and who were sharing the messiness of life and of parenting and of life, you know? And I was like, oh my God, like, this is real. Like, people feel this way and I'm not the only one and this is possible. And I, I relied a lot on on those people and on those pages that I've never even met, you know? A lot, a lot of the people that have helped me through these times are people that I've never even met, um, but who I've watched, you know, kind of grow and, and process also. Um, and so I started to just do more and I found a little yoga studio in my, uh, in my town. And I went to, I went to a hot yoga class and it had been probably like four or five years since I had stepped foot in a yoga studio and it was pretty transformational because I knew right then that that's what I had needed. Um, but it was scary also because I was thinking like, oh man, this is great. And I really want to do this more. But all the excuses, like but I feel guilty, right? Like where are my kids going to go? Like, but what's going to happen? Like what's going to come up in me and what's, but I, but I knew that the benefits of going to yoga outweighed like those excuses for me to where I was like, I know that the person that I've been losing like a little bit at a time up until now is, is there like, she's still in there somewhere. And when I would go to yoga, I could, I could tap into that just a little bit. And so I would go more and more and I would feel like stronger and stronger, not just physically, but mentally as well. So I, I couldn't go to yoga that often, like as often as I wanted to. So I did a lot of stuff at home and it really helped. And I was able to kind of include my kids. And then I started to get into like a lot of just like clean eating and meal prep stuff. And so I started to just be really busy, um, which helped me 
and I was still working. Um, and then, and then I just, again, decided that I needed to leave and then I needed to go back to Oregon. And then basically my time up until that point had been, or everything that I had been doing up until that point had been to get me back to Oregon. Um, and how can I do that? Right. And I felt for a long time that it wasn't possible. Like, how am I going to, I just felt kind of like, this is not going to work. This is not going to work. I don't, I don't know how, um, but I had a friend and she was like, you can totally do it. You, you can do, just do this or we'll do it. We'll figure it out together. This is what's going to happen. And I, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it, it worked out like exactly the way that she said that it would. And, um, and so she came out actually, she flew out to Chicago and she helped me pack up my car and we drove it back to Oregon in June of 2017. So it's been almost two years now. And, and that was, that was a pretty big turning point for me. I'd say, you know, I was, it was interesting because this whole time, like there's a couple of like a couple of themes that come up, which is that there's connection, right? There's a group of people and there's belonging to a group of people. And then there's like the opposite of that, which is the isolation and feeling like you're alone in everything and that you're not good enough. So, I mean, I went through all of that. And then for me, I think specifically, you know, one of the reasons for all the moves is just because I was always searching for this, this home, right? Like I have to go home. And it's interesting because I actually have like a weird relationship with just like even using the word when I say like, oh, I'm going home or I'm at home because is this my home? Like, what is home? Like, I've just thought about that so much about what does that even mean? And I'm back in Portland now and I'm back in Oregon. I hadn't lived in Portland before. So I'm in Portland and I'm back in Oregon, which feels amazing. And I'm thinking to myself, like, is this my home? I don't know if Portland's my home, but definitely I love Oregon and I love being here. But also I've kind of been home all along because a home is not a place. And I know that's so cliche to say, but I've really been coming to terms with like a home is not a place a home is also kind of what you make it and a home is just you being safe and accepted right and loved um wherever that may be but I did feel at home in Portland because I came here and I, I found a job right away which was great and my kids were going to school and I had family. Again, I, this time I live with my other sister and we had a bunch of people in the household. So nothing really new there. But this, the difference was that now I had, I had my people, right? I, they, and they kind of understood that I was kind of on this path where I was coming off of just being in a really dark place for a long time. And then I needed a break and they helped me out and they stepped up and... I found yoga again and every time, again, every time I was in studio, I just, I could get out of my head enough to realize when I came back to myself, 
I was still there, if that makes sense. Like, it's, again, cliche to say, but it's like you hear this expression like, oh, I lost myself or something like that. But when you're in it, you don't realize that that's happening until until it already happened. You're like, oh, shit, like, what happened? <laughs> Where am I, you know? But you're still there. You're still in there. And so that's what yoga was gave me, right? Um, it, it just reminded me that I was still there and I was still worthy. And the thing is for me, when I came to the yoga studio, I was a mess. Like I didn't go there cause I was like happy and great and aligned. I was like, I was a mess. I just went there because I knew that I liked yoga and I wanted to do it. Um, but I wasn't really prepared for like the whole rest of what would happen. Um, until I just kept going back and, the thing about it and the reason I kept going back was because I knew that it was okay to and that it, whatever happened in, like, in whatever state that I was in, I could go to the yoga studio and I could sit there and I could cry and uh, the whole time if I wanted to and that would be okay because that's the space that they created and it was so welcoming. Just everybody is welcome at all times, no matter what, and we love you. Like, oh, you love me even though I'm a mess? Like, yeah. You love me even though, like, I yelled at my kids? Yeah. You love me even though, like, I haven't been to yoga in, like, five years? Yeah. Like, we love you. And that wasn't something that I had had in my life consistently. Um, and giving myself that healing was the best gift I think I could have ever given myself. Um and so I'm, and I'm so thankful for that, um, because that's that's basically how I got to where I am today, where I'm feeling, I'm feeling more whole. Like I never got to a place where I was, I mean, I, 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 I did get to a place where I was so deep in the, the postpartum depression and the trauma that, you know, I couldn't sleep. I was able to sort of come back to myself and say like, what do I need and how do I get that? And okay, let's go, you know? Um, Cause I've never been averse to the hard work. I'm, I'm in it and I can do the hard work. Um, and I'm also really into a lot of the, like the science behind it. So those two things being like together in yoga, that's what healed me, you know? Because if you, if you look at like, trauma like the body keeps a score you know like you're doing there's like a neurological effect that's happening and that you can reverse by doing these other things right and um so I'm getting back there and I wouldn't I wouldn't be here if it weren't for yoga and I wouldn't be here if it weren't for my family because they they gave me the ability to like go to yoga so often because they understood like oh she needs this you know and that's that's invaluable to me you know obviously my my kids you know they've got they've just been through the gamut of of situations at this point and I feel like we're getting to a place now like Lena's almost seven that where we're like in a really good place um I mean I guess most of my takeaways were showing up right to to the work because I knew all along this isn't me I knew all along like something is off 
even though I'm thinking like something's wrong with me and that I'm not enough, I'm also thinking, I know that I'm destined for something more. Like I know that there's something there that I just quite, I can't quite tap into. And how do I get that? Right. Um, so I think it's about having that curiosity, right. And not necessarily like criticizing like, Oh man, I'm just like, I just suck. Like, and then just like being sulking about sulky about it. Cause I can do that too. But it's also about recognizing that like, you got to show up, you got to put in the work and, and then you just have to like be consistent about that to see the shift, but also be clear about the vision. Right. Cause for me it was, I know this isn't me. Like I want to be better. Um, so I knew that that was there. And so then you make the steps and you make that happen however you can. You like, I realize a lot of people aren't, aren't able to just like pick up and leave or pick up and like drive across the country or like twice, <laughs> or I, I don't know. It just, I realize a lot of people don't have that access. Right. Um, but that's where it's our job also to serve. Right. And so we're, we're getting all of this great healing and this energy and this access. And then we have to turn it, turn around and like give it all away and like give it to the people that need it. Um, if that makes sense. And then, then for me, a really big theme is just having gratitude, just being so grateful. Like for me, I'm not necessarily grateful for like the time when William got sick, like that sucked, but but what did I learn from that experience? And what did I learn from like all the other adversities and, and, and how I wouldn't have made some other decisions if it weren't for, for this, you know, like it's sort of like this whole chain of events that happened. And, and for me, you know, being grateful that, and just having that gratitude that I, that I'm here and that I'm able to like talk to you and to know the people that I know and make those connections. Cause that's what, it, that's what I feel like this is more coming down to is that there's so much value in the face to face connections. And like in this day and age where it's like, you can just sit and scroll, you know, like going out there and having those connections with people and having those real messy, vulnerable moments those are what, like, that's what it's all about. And Welcome back. Thank you for listening to Isabella's story. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you got something from it. Um, before we move on to the Q&A, just want to say thank you for your support and um, thank you for rating and subscribing to us. It's really so amazing to just hear all your voices and um, see this podcast make an impact in your lives. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being part of this. Um, again, check us out on Instagram at The Survivor Story. Um, there we're sharing a lot of great content, different things, different clips of the episodes, um, also a little insider thing. So check us out at the survivor story and, you know, without further ado, let's just jump right back into the Q and a with me and Isabella. Thank you. How do you feel right now? I feel fine. You feel fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't really plan to go all of 
that way. That wasn't the way I wrote it in my notes, but it just sort of happened. And I think that that's better because, I mean, I, I did touch on most of the things I wrote in my notes, but I think the yeah the story flowed a little better than the way I wrote it. A lot of times we plan to say certain things and then it kind of just takes a life of its own and that's exactly. where she's going. Sure. One of the big things I really appreciate just how much awareness you brought into the struggle of just being a mother mm-hmm. and how not easy it is. Cause I feel like we can, especially as a society, like really minimize how fucking difficult <laughs> that is. And, um, I really noticed you not minimizing it and being like, yeah, this is for real. And this was not easy. Right. You know, I think probably because I'm a male and I just didn't have a, um, an understanding right. of, right, really how much of a load to carry. And then especially like, and I think I'm starting to understand a little bit more as I get older of like, just like how difficult it is to be a parent. Like need, right. we, we expect parents to be perfect. Um, but like I'm 28 years old mm-hmm. and like sometimes I'm like, how do I even take care of myself? Yes. Like, you know, and um, to like then be responsible for a couple others um, and like to take care of your own mental health needs. And, um, you know, it seemed like it seemed to be a time where everything was kind of crashing together. Mm-hmm. Like where like you were getting pregnant, you already had a kid and things were all kind of like your mental health is kind of like coming up for you. And sure. That it seemed like, um, which is sometimes how life does it, um, just throws all the bells and whistles at you. Right. Right. Um, for those who don't know, I, we, <laughs> Isabella and I met on, um, is it okay if I use your first name? Yeah. Okay. Totally. Shoot. I was like, maybe she doesn't want her name <laughs> to be out there. We haven't said my name yet. Yeah. Um, uh, we met at yoga teacher training and um, that was the first time I've ever heard your story story you know yeah um, I might have like just heard like little, little pieces bits and pieces but mm-hmm. nothing to the degree of that um I remember you talking about how much yoga um helped you out but sure but didn't know the the degree of it and um right noticing how much you um moved as a child and moved as an adult um and I can see how f- trying to find a sense of home yeah is is very difficult and i i didn't move much but um finding a sense of home has also been very difficult Mm -hmm. um but that's because a lot of times the home didn't feel like home yeah um and so noticing and learning like how do i make uh how do i feel at home right right and um it usually depends on how i'm feeling with myself yeah you know, it's not necessarily like yeah, where you are geographically, geographically, but yeah. like how, how am I doing myself? If I'm exactly. feeling not at home, um, a lot of times it's that like, I'm not feeling at home with myself hmm. and connected with myself. And there's things that, um, I'm ignoring. Um, what I really also appreciated was, um, you seem to not, and maybe I'm mistaken, but not hold like resentment towards yourself. Hmm. through the whole process because I know 
one of my themes has been like like if I do something wrong to just really just like oh shoot myself yourself self down it. yeah I, I'm 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 much better at it now mm-hmm. at not doing it right um but what I like really like got from yours was like um and maybe there was was that present at all when you're going through um I guess the struggle of like why am I not able to handle this I don't think it was internalized Mm. i feel like i was maybe getting a lot of that from the outside right Mm. like Mm -hmm. the pressure to be the perfect mom to be the perfect wife to be just happy and great and beautiful all the time like i was feeling that pressure not necessarily from like certain people but also just from like society right and for me i just felt like well, I'm not going to try to be all those things. I never tried to be somebody else or like tried to not act the way that I feel. Mm-hmm. I just really feel my feelings. Um, but I guess for me, I, 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 I was kind of down and I still am like my own worst critic. You know, I, I think to myself like, I, what am I trying to say? So, I'm my own worst critic. And so what I try to do is I say like, oh, if I'm not, if I'm not, if I don't have a house by this time or if I don't have a career by this time, then I'm failing. Mm -hmm. Right. And saying like, well, what, like by whose standards, you know, like no one person's path looks the same. Also, there's no timeline on anything, you Mm -hmm. know, and being really forgiving and graceful about that has helped me you know, not harbor resentment necessarily towards myself. Like I maybe harbor resentment towards like situations, right? Like that sucked that I had to go back to work two weeks after William was born. That really sucked. Like I wish that wouldn't, ha- wouldn't have happened. Um, but it did. Mm-hmm. And, and then what, you know what I mean? I, I'm more of a person that's like, I have to have a plan of action. It's like, okay, well this happened. Okay, great. Now what do we do from here? Like what are the next steps? Um, like I'm pretty pragmatic about stuff like that, but you know, also when you have a human factor involved, things don't always look clean and great and beautiful, which is just something you have to accept. You know, it's not (laughs) like, it's not as do we though, (laughs) (laughs) do we have to accept? Yeah. 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 And Um, something you learn, right? Like when you're younger, you don't think that that's going to happen. You think like, oh, this is, this is just the way it's going to be. And then like you just have to learn yeah. to go with the flow. And for the most part, like I've done that. Hmm. Yeah. Or tried to do that, I guess. Yeah. I also picked up that you were a middle child, right? Yes. Um, and first the worst, second, the best. <laughs> right. I don't know the rest it's of the, it. It's the third. I don't know. Um, but it also sounded like, you know, and this happens for a lot of people who grow up as a, a, a middle child that, mm-hmm. Um, that, and I may try to think of the best way to say Are you it. a middle child? No, I'm You're a the only youngest. child. What? Yeah. You're the only? Uh-huh. I don't know if I knew that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I am the, the oldest, the youngest, and the middle. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, I have, I, it's complicated. I have a, a half brother who's never been okay. like, in the house. Okay. And then my family, um, adopted a kid when I was 19 so I have like brothers okay but like I grew up as an only child okay um but you know for the sometimes with those who are a middle child 
um, there's sometimes like wants and needs that sometimes don't always get met and not like any blame of the parents, but it's just like you haven't, no, the older child, then you have the younger child that you have to take Mm -hmm. care of and, um, things kind of fall through. Um, and it was really heartbreaking just for me to hear that, like how much you wanted to go to (laughs) U of A, right? And it, and it, it just couldn't happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, just, I never talk about that either, by the way. Yeah. But just because like, that's something we could very easily minimize. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh, like many people don't get into the good sure. schools, but like just n- acknowledging like how much like you wanted to yeah. go there and how much like sometimes those like things, although they might feel small, really do yeah. mean a lot to us. And it was right. like something that seemed like uh, one of the like, maybe not the first, but something that you were just really, really excited and thought like, oh, this might be possible. And um it didn't necessarily happen out that way. Um, Yeah. And I didn't, like, I connected in with certain things that I didn't get, that, like, my little, like, little Kevin didn't get. Um, And I just want to say I had the opposite feeling with yoga in a sense that I feel like I have to be perfect Hmm. in order to go in there. Interesting. And so I want to know, like, was it the studio? Was it you? What made you, f- I guess, in a sense, feel okay about kind of showing up however you showed up and, in a sense, not being, like, perfect and kind of being, um, for lack of a better word, even, like, a little messy yeah. in there? I mean, at first, I just went to yoga because I needed, like, a workout and, like, a release, right? And I just sort of needed to, like, move my body. I wasn't really there to, like, talk about the chakras or, you know, like chant mantra or anything like that I just went there and I just did the class and then I was sore later and I was like okay great this is mm. this is what I need like obviously I'm out of practice but what kept me coming back I think it I mean the studios are all really beautiful spaces which I appreciate because that to me again with this idea of like a home shows me that it was very intentionally like set up, you know, like it was thought out. Um, and then just being amongst other people that, you know, whose, whose stories I don't know and Mm -hmm. whose days I don't know about. Um, but being there, it just always seemed like whenever I went there, the teacher specifically Audra, she would just tell a story whether it be, you know... Audra's the owner of the studio that we, we go to. Audra, I love Hive Yoga. Yes. <laughs> um, she she would tell a story that just seemed to like... It seemed to like she was only speaking to me. Hmm. And I was like, how do you know? <laughs> like, what do you... Like, I don't know if anyone else is connecting because I don't necessarily, like, know those people. But I'm here and I feel like she's speaking directly to me. Yeah. And she showed her vulnerable side and then she also backed it up this is me being a total geek but she also backed it up on like by like the data she's like oh in this book or in this study or like even in like the spiritual side of things like in the like Bhagavad Gita you know what I mean like 
I was like, oh, okay. Like, those are all, like, real things. Like, she's mm-hmm. not just pulling it out of her ass. Like, sh- those are real. Like, she read those things. Like, she's experienced this and she's lived this. So, she's credible. So, like, I appreciated that and I respected that. And I felt comfortable enough to just, like, sit in front of her and, like, cry my eyes out because I needed that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then she just got us moving. She got us out of that. You know what I mean? She would bring us in. And then she'd take us out and we'd get into that flow state, which is another something that she talked about and re- referenced um, a book about. And then we'd come back and release it all. You know, like that was, it was just hmm. something that I felt was kind of magical. Yeah. You know, kind of like she's waved this magic wand and like, here you go. Now you're, so now you're on a yoga high. It sounds like it was a little bit of the combination of, um, the studio, the the teacher that you were going to as well. Yeah, the like teacher. Just like well, you also I, being okay with yeah. kind of showing up. Right. And again, right, like it's what it's what yoga asks of you. You True. know, it's yeah. like you you can show up there and I, I'm again, like I'm not averse to putting in the work, so I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna like do it and I'm gonna move through it and and you just even if you don't want to, like you can you can breathe through it for five breaths and then you can be done and you if you can get through that you can get through the rest of the day or like any other moment of the day if you're like frustrated or overwhelmed and and you could do it i think that's kind of for me like it was almost like an internal like an ego Mm. thing where i was like i gotta get through this yeah like i can do this i know i can and if i don't then i'm like then i'm you know i wasn't like down (laughs) on myself but i'm just saying like it was kind of an internal thing for me where i was like I know I can do this. And then every time I did do it, I remember when I would first go to yoga class, I, I would be maybe like 20 minutes in and just be like, oh my God, there's still so much more time left. Like, I don't know how I'm going to make it. And then I just be like, I just have to get through this one class. Like, but, hmm. and I, that's what I would be thinking instead of thinking like, instead of not thinking and being in the flow state. And then once I got through the class, I was like, okay, I got through the class. Like, yeah, that, you know, just taking it in like small increments. So it sounds like that kind of like um, helped you to start like seeing like challenges as like, okay, just the next step. Like mm-hmm. I just have to get through this. And then, and then like, there might be like, like we go to another yoga class and we're still right back sure. and like, oh, I just got to make it through the next uh, 20 minutes or whatever. Yeah. But um, that like practice of like just kind of taking problem by problem. Yeah. And then seeing the progression, right? Mm-hmm. Like Absolutely. all of a sudden I've gone to yoga for 30 days in a row and guess what? Like I can, I can, I can actually do a plank pose. I can actually do a, the, you know what I mean? Like that's, uh-huh. you see it. Right. Yeah. And so it's not just physically like where you're feeling stronger, but then mentally, like when you're outside of the studio, you're like, Oh my gosh, wait, this is what they talked about in yoga. Or like, mm. wait, I just need to breathe. They're like, hold on a second. Let me stop and let me stop and like enjoy the surroundings. Like, you know what I mean? All of a sudden you see those things start to like permeate into your consciousness when you're not in studio. And that's the part where, again, it's easy to like ignore that and minimize. Be like, oh, yeah, just whatever. I'm just going to be a yoga studio. But like you can't go to yoga every day and like not have that almost yeah. like affect your your life outside of studio. Yeah. Um, and I just realized why I was bringing up the, why I was bringing up the middle child thing. Yeah. Um, it seemed to me that like, Yoga also seemed like to be like the one thing that was like for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's like a when you have kids, like 
it's really hard to do anything that's just yeah for you mm-hmm. um and it seemed like yoga was like a very special reserve space very yeah it was really special and it's interesting too because i didn't mention this but i started doing the first time i ever did yoga was like when bikram yoga was like really kind of like a fad hot yoga right and i did uh-huh. it like in eugene like maybe once or twice with my mom or my sister right and then and then i didn't really go back very often but I did it in college. Like mm-hmm. I took a Hatha yoga class in college and I didn't know what it was, but I would go, I think it was Monday, Wednesday, Friday and just take, it was just me, right? Like you're saying, and in college I didn't have kids in college. It was just me. Like I just, I did it cause I chose to. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I kind of lost it and I kind of traveled and, and then I came back to yoga again after I find found out I was, pregnant with Lena actually. So I did a lot of prenatal yoga. And so, yeah, it's like yoga has been this common thread throughout, mm. um, throughout my life really. Beautiful. So yeah, it is beautiful. I'm so grateful for it. So, uh, we have to wrap things up okay. timing wise. Yeah. Um, but I have three questions that I ask every, uh, oh, every okay. guest. So okay. get ready. All right. Uh, they're, they're pretty easy questions in, uh-huh. I, th- I think. Um, but one thing is just like, what are you up to now? Like, what are you doing? What do you enjoy? Mm-hmm. Um, jobs, passions, interests. What are you What are you doing now? I really am working on slowing down and mm-hmm. focusing on my kids and prioritizing my family and not being so hard on myself mm-hmm. to have, like, to have the things that, I don't know, society, quote, unquote, people think that we need to have by now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, beautiful. And then uh, if you had a favorite book to recommend or, (laughs) um, you know, it could be literally, it could be just like a fun fiction book or it could be like a book that's like self-help, anything that's like meant a lot to you. Um, I've been listening to a lot of books and I I write them down, like the ones that I read because I'm a nerd. Okay, hold on. I have to pull them up because I don't have I don't read I don't read a ton of books. Uh-huh. I listen to them. Yeah, I've I've read a couple this year, like just in the actual. <sighs> okay. Oh, oh, sorry. This is from last year. Okay. Ooh, there's so many good ones I've read this year. Um. Okay. Hmm. I guess I should go with the first one that came to my mind when you asked me that question, which was, it's called When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air. It's by Paul Kalanithi. It's amazing. When Breath Becomes Air. It's, I read it last year, but it's. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll have it in the show notes for people to. Yes. To check out. Um, It's a good one. It's not even yoga related, but for some reason I just. Yeah, for sure. It's, I'm drawn it's, to that one. It has an interesting title, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, um, what would you tell someone who is experiencing similar hardships? Oh, man. What would I tell someone who is experiencing similar hardships? I mean, a couple of things come to mind, which is that you're not alone. Another one is that you're enough (laughs) 
And the last one is it gets better. <laughs> like, and I don't know, like, I, I hope people don't take that as like to minimize like, oh, it's going to get better. Don't worry about it. But it's also like, you're enough, man. Like you can do this and you're worthy of it. Right. Like, and then internalizing that, like saying that over and over and over again until it gets better, Hmm. you know? And it does. It's just, it's so hard to see when you're in it. And I've been in it a couple of times and it's just like, you just come out the other side and you're, you are, you're a better person. You're like a, a different different in a lot of ways and you're just more involved so Hmm. all those things i definitely think you're much better (laughs) from it all yeah you're much better right Mm -hmm. Um, yeah i mean how can you not be like you grow and you learn mm -hmm. that's just the definition of being better yes (laughs) right you need adversity to grow unfortunately Mm, gosh (laughs) that weren't true man i Mm. know well thank you very much for sharing your story sharing yourself Thanks for listening. I loved it, yeah. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Thank you for everyone who listened all the way through this podcast. We really love your support. Um, Please rate, like, subscribe. Uh, Keep us moving. Keep us going. I hope you're out there just conquering your challenges, taking it one step at a time, remembering how powerful your story is and that everyone has a story with power and purpose that deserves to be heard and shared and so i would encourage you to find that people find your support share your story until then until next week when we circle around the fire again take care